Welcome to today's episode of the Obsessively Outspoken Podcast. I'm your host, Remington, and today I have a very special guest with me today, Jasmine. Jasmine, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing well also. Thank you so much in advance. Uh, before I forget for doing this uh, interview, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. So as always, let's start from the beginning. Uh, where were you born and raised? I was raised in Taunton, Massachusetts. Um, but so it's a little funny, right? Like my family is from Brockton. So I was partially raised in Brockton, Massachusetts. I was partially raised in Taunton, Massachusetts. But I went to school in uh, the bridgewater Rainham area. So I'm from a couple of places, I guess. Okay. And how was it like for you growing up in, uh, in Massachusetts? It was interesting. Um, you know, I, the place that I grew up with my, where my grandmother lived was an apartment complex, um, that actually like my whole family lived in, which was really cool, especially because, you know, I, I'm an only child, so I didn't really have like brothers and sisters, but I grew up around, you know, a lot of cousins and aunties and all that. So that was really good. Um, but you know, it definitely had its, its struggles too, um, was coming from more of like a inner city community, especially me. Like I, I grew up there, but like I lived in Taunton, which is very similar to like, um, you know, a Brockton or Fall River, these sort of areas where they're a little bit more urban, even though they're on the outskirts, outskirts, um, of Boston. Um, and I had to go to Bridgewater Rainham schools, which was a predominantly white neighborhood, predominantly white school. Um, so, you know, being there in middle school and high school, I had a lot of trouble in school, um, especially on the basis of like race and stuff like that. Um, with administration and teachers and students, um, and, you know, being a biracial person, my, my mother is, uh, Irish and Arab and my dad is black. Um, so, you know, I was always identified as the odd man out in that school. And so were my cousins and I, so that definitely, you know, presented its challenges, but I think that it shaped me to be the vocal kind of person that I am now and the passionate person that I am now when it comes to like, you know, working with youth and social justice and all these sort of topics. I think biracial, uh, my friends who are biracial, I think they have it difficult growing up because it's, it's always the question of what are you? Yeah. You know, they can't quite figure it out. So they're like looking at your hair, they're looking at the facial features and you kind of mm -hmm. always get that question what are you? And I know for some, it's hard to fit in because you can fit in in both sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. in your circles based on your facial features. Is that correct? Um, for me, I I was always mistaken for being Latina. Okay. Um, I, but, you know, it was either Latina and if I said, no, you know, that's not what I am, it would be like, okay, well, what are you mixed with? Like, people always knew that I was something. Right. Um, but the family aspect of it was definitely, you know, kind of dif different for me um, because I grew up mostly, you know, with my dad's side of the family. Um, so I, you know, I identify as a black woman at the end of the day. I say I'm biracial because people always look at me funny. But, <laughs> you know, like when I identify, like if you ask me, I identify as a black woman because that's, that's what I've been for the entirety of my life. Yeah. Um, I always get frustrated when like people don't, I love my Latinas, but getting mistaken for being Latina is like really tough because it's like, I'm not even that like I'm black, I'm white, I'm Arab. The only thing that I'm not is Latina, but that's what I look like, you know? So, <laughs> but it's not, and, 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 and please correct me, feel yeah. free to stop me, whatever, but it's not just your look. You sound like you are from a Spanish-speaking uh, country. It's, really? It's, it's, it, yeah, 
Oh, that's the first time you heard that? Uh, yeah, no, I haven't. I've heard that like I sound like I'm from New York a lot before, but maybe that's what people mean. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm from New York, and and I will agree, but Spanish Harlem, New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so okay. well, my family is um my family's Cape Verdean. So um that is where you get, you know, the last name Rodriguez from, spelled with a G U E S, um, because of course like Cape Verde was colonized by the Portuguese. So growing up with a little bit of that language around, especially my great grandparents were from Cape Verde, um, on my dad's side of my family. Um, so, you know, I definitely have like that influence, I think, yeah. in my speech, even though I don't speak Creole, unfortunately, I wish I did, but, okay. um, yeah, I've gotten, I, I've, I've definitely gotten that a little bit for sure. And yeah. even with my students, like my students to this day, I've had my students for going on four years now, they'll be like, miss, like, can you, like, they'll start talking to me in Spanish and I'm like. No. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, yeah. I find this curious. Like You identify with Black, right? Yep. But at the same time, you don't want to deny the um, ethnic background of your mom. How does that play out? Because when people say first Black president, I always say, well, Barack was biracial. When you say yeah. Black, it kind of feels like you're almost negating his mom's suck. Uh, heritage when you say that. So what's wrong with saying biracial? I, I get that. I don't feel like he's denying one ethnic background or the other. But when you say black, how does his mom feel being white and not getting the credit for having something to do with producing the first biracial president? Yeah, you know, I think that I'll speak for myself when I say being a biracial person is definitely a journey um, because it is a journey of like self-identity, right? Like, because you go through some spaces where like, like me as a kid, I did not know that people didn't see me as being a, a black woman until I got to like college, really. Um, prior to that, in the school system that I was in, I was always identified as being Black. So that's just who I was. Like, I was identified right along with my cousins and right along with my aunts and right along with my, you know, my dad. So for me, it, it never actually became, like, questionable until I got older and started speaking out on the things that happened to me as a kid, as well as, like, the racial injustice in this country. And then folks started being like, well, are you even black? And like, well, you know, you're so fair skinned, like you can't really say that. And it's like, you have no idea what my life has been like, you know? So, but you know, with that being said, like walking that line of like, this is how the world sees me and this is how I see myself. But I also see myself here too. You know, so I think like for me, I, I had to decide on what I was like, who I was going to be and what that meant to me. And so what that means to me is that I'm a multi-ethnic biracial person who identifies as a black woman. Um, but I think it's everybody, it's, it's up to the individual, you know, like I think that it's really everybody's a little bit different and like. When you, when you look at a person like Barack Obama, I would assume that maybe throughout his life, he's never been classified as being a white person, you know? So if the world looks at you like you're this and you see yourself as this, at some point you have to decide on like, okay, like when people ask me, what is my answer going to be? Who, who am I, you know? And, and how much of an explanation does everybody need from me? That's um, right. But yeah, I think. It's important to acknowledge everything that you are, um, but it's also right. to create you know, an identity. Yeah, you're right. He, when you see him, you think of black. You're right. Yeah. And maybe if he, maybe if he was Derek Jeter, uh, black uh, biracial would have been a different story. But when you see yeah. him, he has the characteristics of a black man. So I get that. You're right. Yeah. 
Now, what brought us here is the uh-huh. fact that I know that you're involved in the Big Brother Big Sister. You actually work for that organization, yes. correct? Yes, I do. And I'm I, their uh, program manager for their Mentor 2.0 program here in Boston, which is their high school program. Okay. So tell me, give me a little bit about the journey that led you to where you are now. Sure. Um, so... When I was in school, like I had just said, you know, I had a lot of trouble in school um, for various reasons. One of the main ones was definitely because, you know, there was a lot of racial tension in the school that I went to and there was a lot of trouble um, based on that. Me and my mom were just talking recently, like with everything that's going on in the world, I I just kind of was playing back all the things that happened to me in, in school. And I was just like, wow, like, there were adults in the picture at these schools that should have been responsible enough and took care of us enough to protect us in some way. And they decided not to. Right. So through those experiences in school, I had a couple of teachers who like really like went above and beyond for me, like really looked out for me. There were two. Um, And When I was graduating high school, I had a teacher in my senior year named Mr. Costa, who just really, like, stepped up for me. And that year, I decided, like, I I was getting ready to go to college, and I didn't necessarily know exactly what I wanted to do, but that year, I decided, like, okay, like, I want to do this for kids, too. Like, I want to be there for kids, too. I want to be in the school system so that... I can be a voice and be a guide for kids like me. Um, So I went to college at UMass Boston first, and I studied um, Black History, was my major there, Africana Studies. Transferred to Bridgewater State halfway through and um, graduated with my degree in communications and Africana Studies. Um, And I went on to teach in the public school system in Brockton. So from that, I was teaching, I was a long-term sub and a teacher's assistant, and I was teaching um, U.S. history, world history, and I was teaching Black history, and I loved it. Um, But there was a lot of, like, things happening in Brockton as far as, like, you know, being able to retain teaching staff in Brockton that after two years there, I was like, okay, like, let me see you know, what else might be out there that I could be interested in in doing um, just for like job security purposes. Um, So I came across Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and it really kind of like outlined so many things for me for the position, which was a coordinator for Mentor 2.0, which was like, you know, it's a college readiness program we're taking, you know, a whole grade level worth of kids and matching them all with mentors who are already like graduated from college and in their um, respective like things that they do, whether they're lawyers or doctors or teachers or social workers, all these different, you know, um, careers and career fields. Um, and I'm teaching a class and I'm matching them with mentors and I'm doing event planning. And I get to stick with my kids for the whole four years until they graduate high school. Um, So it really just had a lot of the elements that I was really excited about. Um, And I applied. And even though I played Tupac in my interview, they took me anyway. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You played Pac during your interview? Please, here. I had to um, teach a mock lesson on... um, Grit and resilience. So I had to make up my own lesson to teach to, you know, the people who are interviewing me to see, you know, how my teaching style was. So I taught my class on grit and resilience on Tupac's Keep Your Head Up. Wow. We took a look at the lyrics. We, you know, talked about what grit and resilience were, the definitions of them, how people show them in real time. We listened to the Tupac song. We read the lyrics. We picked out you know, the times that he speaks about grit and resilience. Um, It was a lesson that I had been using in my classes prior when I was teaching Black history. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) So that tells you the type of teacher I am. 
Exactly, exactly. And it tells me the type of person you are, because I don't think I would have bring Pac to any of my previous uh, interviews for yep. a job, but good for you, and congratulations that you got it. I now got that, to the point where I was just like, listen, you know, anywhere that I'm going to be, they got to love me for who I am, so let me just go in with who I am, and, and we'll see what happens, you know? Now, what's the most challenging part of what you do? The most challenging part, I would say, is maybe, and it's similar to kind of like, I think my own stance as a, as a kid in high school is like, a lot of kids in high school can just be like, why do I have to do this? Like, why am I here? What is the point mm-hmm. of this, right? So like, uh, working with students to show them like, the end result and like what they're capable of. And I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, it is challenging, but it's also, I think rewarding in a lot of ways to fight challenges. Um, because, you know, I have students who like in the ninth grade, they were kind of like, maybe not really into school, maybe not really into like their teachers and then like now you know they'll be my kids will be 12th graders next year we just graduated the first class of mentor 2.0 students congrats class of 2020 um but my class class of 2021 you know i've seen those students just make real turnarounds in like how they feel about school and showing up and getting things done and like so i would say that that's probably it is like teaching Teaching the value of education, not teaching the material, not teaching the students, but teaching the value of an education and how to get what you need out of your education. Right. Now, I know you've made plenty of choices in your life. Where would you rank the choice to become involved with Big Brother, Big Sister? Uh, I'll choose it again. For sure. <laughs> I really, you know, I really enjoy my agency. I enjoy the people I work with. I enjoy the program. I enjoy the ability for growth. Um, I, I really, you know, believe that that choice that I made, you know, and what was it, 2017, I'm going on four with them now, um, was one of the better choices that I've made, um, especially like on my career path. I became a big brother in 2012, and he was six. And oh. Jeremiah just turned 15 in wow. April. And uh, I came home, and it was a Father's Day package for me. Oh! And I can't even. I can't even read. I would read the card, but I'm going to start crying again. But yeah. it's like the best. Actually, I could just read the. I'll just read the front of the card. I won't even read what's, what's in it. Yes, because I want to know. <laughs> Okay, well, if you want to know that, I'll just go ahead and read the whole thing. So here we go. Father's Day isn't just for dads, you know. It's for all the men who make a difference in our lives. For the guys who give you encouragement, advice, and help when you need it. It's for the kind of person you've always been to me. I can't imagine celebrating Father's Day without thinking of you. And then he goes on to say, thanks, Remington, for being there to talk to, being with me every step of the way in this walk of life, teaching me about life. Thanks. Oh, that's so beautiful. (laughs) So when I rank it in the choices that I've made in my life to become a big brother, easily top three. Yeah. Top three, top two. And I think one of the biggest surprises, I went in like, yeah, I'm going to have a positive effect effect on him. I'm going to have a positive impact. And honestly, Jasmine, there are times when I'm like, has he had a bigger impact on me? I've learned so much. I've become such a better person because of him. There were times when I was asking myself, am I cheating him out of the experience? I hope he's getting a fraction of what I'm getting from him. And if I knew that, I would have I would have done this sooner. It's like, people need to understand, you're helping, but you're also helping yourself as well. They have a lot to offer you. You go in with these grand ideas of changing people's lives, Okay, that's great. But in the process, your life is being altered as well for the better. So great program. Um, I'm so glad that uh, they have someone like you. And I'm glad that I was able to 
finally get settled enough where I could be a big brother. And it is, I, I, I strongly recommend every man, every woman, if you have the time, if you can do it, if your heart is in the right place, be a big brother, be a big sister. Absolutely. And I thank you like that, like people like you are what make this program so successful and, and what makes the impact in these kids lives, you know, um, you know, when you asked me like, well, how long have you been a big, I was like, well, I guess I'm kind of a big to everybody and I'm yeah. a big to, to bigs too, because I do match support with mentors. So I, I'm sure you get a check-in call every, you know, so often to see like how things are going with your match. That's how we kind of do things here in Boston. And um, so I have to check in with my mentors like every month, every other month. And just to, they, they have kind of like the same sentiments. Like I want to make sure I'm doing like everything that I can for the student. Like, where can I, where can I get better? We've talked about this. Like, can, can me and you discuss this conversation that we had? How can I go about, you know, communicating this better to my mentee? Like, it's just fascinating to see how much folks have grown in the program, students and, you know, adults. Like, it is really so impactful. And I think mentorship I encourage mentorship in any capacity. Like if you, even, even in the sense of like in your own community, you know, please come to Big Brothers Big Sisters. We need all the mentors that we can get, you know, but mentorship is every day. Mentorship is always, right? I always said, um, especially when I got into the education system, like I don't have kids, but I have kids because I have kids who are watching what I do all the time, whether they be kids in my family, whether they be kids who follow me musically, whether they be kids in my classroom, I'm always in somebody's, you know, sight and they're paying attention. They're paying attention to us. So we need to make sure, you know, that we're paying that attention back to them and, and guiding them. So thank you so much for being a big for as long as you have. That's so awesome. Yeah. My, my mom and dad got a divorce at when I was three. And my dad, I know who he is. I know who he is to this day. We don't have the greatest relationship. Our relationship has been fractured for some time, uh, but we never really got to do the things I thought fathers and sons should do. And I grew up in New York, and so we never went to a Mets game or a Yankees game or a Knicks game. We never had the one-on-one -on -one talks. We never really was concerned about my vehicle or my girlfriend or school. Yeah. Was, and, 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 and I said, if, if I could prevent that from happening to one, just one. Because all you can do is just have an impact on one person. You can't save the yeah. world, but you can help just one person at a time. I said, if I could just get someone who I could see myself in them, that, that child who doesn't have the father to say, hey, come on, let's go catch a movie and just kind of put your arm around him. Just let him know that you're not just here. That there is somebody who cares about, them, yeah, who wants who wants to spend the time, and so it was an unfortunate situation with me and my dad. But I didn't want to drag that and be anchored to the past. I figured if I can make a difference or do something, use my energy that way, then I won't think negative about our situation. And I and I don't. I mean, I had my my moments when everybody has a good time. <laughs> I, I, I had to deal with that. But now, since Jeremiah is in my life, it, I, I I don't think about the situations with me and my dad. Now I actually look at it as to make it right. You know? mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, number, number two, number three, best decision ever. That's awesome. That makes me so happy to hear that. <laughs> now, so we talked about Big brother, big sister. Let's talk about passion. Uh, another, oh, another passion of yours. Sure. So, I know that you're a musician, mm -hmm. and take me on that journey. What got you started? Uh, what kind of music uh, or, or, or genre you're into? Do you play any instruments? Just take me through the whole uh, journey. Sure. So, um, so I actually started rapping when I was seven years old. 
Okay. Um, which is very young. Like I was like able to like make sentences, and next thing you knew, I was like writing rhymes. Um, but I grew up in a in a really musical household. You know, um, my mom has always danced. Her family is really musical as well. My dad rapped. Um, my aunt rapped, and she sang. So I kind of grew up with music being a, a large part of who I was. Music is actually in my name. Um, when you look at my name, the spelling of it, J-A-Z-Z-M-Y-N, jazz was put in there purposefully. Um, so I kind of grew up with that influence all around in, in every kind of way. So, you know, I would hear my dad and my aunt rapping, and I was one summer I was just like, you know what? Like, I can do that. I could do that, too. Um, and I started and I had my first show when I was 10 years old, um, which was probably at least in front of like 150 people. We had a local DJ out here who used to throw DJ parties for like the community. Um, so I had my first show there and like, you couldn't get me off stage after that. After that, it was just, I was on stage. I wanted to rap. This is what I was going to do. Um, and, you know, I think that music really became my outlet for me. I sing as well. I started singing at 10, too. But um, music became an outlet for me in a lot of ways. Like, I, as a young person, you know, you go through a lot as a young person. You go through a lot with your friends and your family. And in my particular situation, you know, in school and the things that were happening to me in school, and I needed a way to express myself and music really gave me that um and i've just been going ever since i made my first mixtape as a kid i made i made my first like kid mixtape when i was i think in sixth grade <laughs> sold that around um but i made my first professional mixtape in 2013 and i came out with my first album in 2017 titled writing her story um which is basically you know if you listen to it front to back it's the story of my life up until that point and i'm actually working on a second album right now um that's meant to release in so i'm going to ask you at the end um but i want to ask you now so i don't forget just in case i forget at the end of this interview where are some of the uh, social links that people can follow you on so they can listen to your music or buy your music? Oh, so you can find me, Jasmine Red, really, on anything. Um, anything you listen to music on, you can find Writing Her Story. It's available on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, Amazon Music, everything. And you, and you go by Jasmine Red? Yeah. Okay, Jasmine Red. Yeah. Now, what are your thoughts on the music industry, starting with uh, the business dealings? We've heard that when you try to get signed, that artists are out here left and right signing bad contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, the creating the creative process for you. What do you? How, how do you get started? What mode are you in, and how do you get in that mode? And then, last, I know some of the questions. What are your thoughts on the quality of music? Um, overall and we can specifically stick with hip hop. Okay. Um I would say business wise, you know, there are a lot of artists who are getting into deals where number one, I think at this point you don't necessarily need deals anymore with the internet and like the way that that is. Um I heard something once that said as an independent artist you retain 80% of your profit, whereas with a record deal, you retain, uh, I think, like 20 or 30%. Um, and that always made me be like, okay, like, so I think I want to be independent for, you know, as long as I can. Um, but in being independent, it is expensive. And you need to make sure you have a good team of people around you. Um, especially when contracts start coming in and doing split sheets and all these sort of things. You want to have people that you trust who are knowledgeable, who are around you, who you can go to to speak to about these things and that are going to help you navigate 
um, the business aspect. Um, as far as what was your second question was um, the quality of music. How do you quality? Um, I think that so for me with music, I, I've come to the point where I realize that there's a space for everything, right? So there's a space for turn up music. There's a space for revolutionary music. There's a space for music that puts you deep in thought. There's a space for emotional music. There's a space for all things. I think that the radio has um, saturated us and mainstream media has saturated us with one particular type of music. Um, but I also do feel like, you know, with different streaming sites and the availability to discover different musicians and different, you know, projects and stuff like that, um, there's a space for everything and everyone. So I can't say, I, I used to be one of those people who were like, you know, like music's so watered down now and that, like, I can't say I'm like that quite as much anymore, but I will say like, I do miss the days when hip hop used to teach you something and when R&B used to make you fall in love, you know, but it still exists. It might not be at the forefront, but it, it's still happening. So I, I'm going to assume that I'm older than you. And in my day, it was Public Enemy, it was KRS-One, it was X-Clan, it was Poor Righteous Teachers, it was Brand Nubian. Even when the groups weren't heavy-handed, you still had Clock Request, you had De La Soul, who were positive, but they weren't super conscious or political. So yeah. now, I have a hard time getting into a lot of this music. And you're right, there is a space for everything. And I'm going to say this. Given our circum current circumstance, mm -hmm. the bar for me is here now. Yeah. Me, 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 meaning, any album that comes out now, you don't have to give me 10 songs straight barring me to death about political conscious music, but you have to have something that's yeah. going to elevate my mind and take me to a positive place given everything that's happening now. And that's not just artists. Hey, Tyler Perry, what new movie are you coming out with? Oh, huh? What? Is it going to be this? No. Positive. We don't have the luxury right now, I think, in anything that we do to waste time and saliva on things that's not going to better the community and move the world forward. I just don't think we can afford it. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that it's time that, you know, people start to realize that music is a vessel of communication for the current times and the current, current climate of the world, right? And it's time that music starts to be created and not even just created, but like, promoted and put out and put on a pedestal that is conscious, that is talking about what's going on in the world. Like granted, everybody got to have fun and let off some steam and, you know, jump around and do whatever you need to do. But right now people need hope and people need that fire lit underneath them and people need fuel and people need to be energized and they need to be motivated um, to start working towards, you know, a brighter day and a better future. And if the time isn't now, then I don't know. Like, and, you know, my whole music career has been based off of making that type of music. Um, earlier on, I can say as a musician and as a young person, like I was young when I was making my first, you know, bit of music, when I was doing little mixtapes and stuff like that, I wasn't as elevated consciously as I am now but when it came to writing her story or when it came to you know this new album that I'm putting out called Revolution that's all you hear all you hear is like those types of messages um because people need them and I think that a lot of people don't realize they need them until they hear them and they're like oh where has this been this has been missing from me you know um but the time is definitely now. And I can't wait to see what people are going to create right now. You know? 
Because anything I know about being an artist, like your emo, at least for me, my emotions navigate what I put down on that paper and what I put in the booth. You know, what I feel comes out in my music, whether it be, you know, sad or happy or angry or frustrated, that, that's what you hear from me. I know a lot of my artist friends are like that too. So, so at seven and 10, who were some of your inspirations? Uh, who were some of the artists that you looked up to when you were seven and 10 years old? I, w- I was and have always been the biggest Tupac fan you have ever met in your life. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I got that. <laughs> um, Tupac was a huge influence for me. KRS-One, Queen Latifah. I also love DMX. Um, Lauren Hill. Like, Lauren Hill, of course, right? That was actually, that was my first tape that I ever remember having. And when I say tape, I mean cassette tape. And it was in my Walkman. I was a kid, you know, but that was the first tape I ever remember, like, walking around with and, like, physically having. And I probably stole it from my mother, like, I'm sure. But, (laughs) you know, it was the first one I remember having that and All Eyes on Me um, by Tupac. So I think you can really say that those two projects are probably two of the ones that shaped me the most but those artists for sure and then you can sprinkle a little bit of erica badu on top of that too <laughs> now who, who are you listening to currently same people <laughs> same one <laughs> okay. um you know i also listen to uh kendrick lamar um i listen to a lot more most deaf right now um I'm still listening to Queen Latifah, still listening to Pac. I listen to J. Cole. What about Rhapsody? Uh, Rhapsody, I do listen to. I won't. I haven't been as avid of a listener to her music, but I do listen to her. Um, but yeah. So what do you think is the state of hip-hop when it comes to female MCs? I, I know, do you, do you think it's gotten better, or do you still think that you got to work harder or 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 there is some level of oh she's a female why can't you just be an MC why does it still have to be a female MC do you think that's gotten better or you still have to kind of like struggle like female MCs have done in the past? Hmm, that's a good question. I feel like you know I think that there's a lot of female MCs right now, but I also feel like you only really get put in the spotlight if you fall under a certain category of female MC. And I don't think that that's fair because there's a lot of us who have a lot to say. And it might not be turn-up music, but you should be turning your ears to us anyway. You know, Um, and Rhapsody's one of them. If you're talking about lyrically and bar for bar, Rhapsody's fire. But she doesn't get as much accolades as some of the other female artists that are front and center right now. Um, And I think that mainstream media has a lot to do with that. But I would say, like, you know, I've always been one of those people that's just like, I'm an MC. You know, I can go toe-to-toe with men. I can go toe-to-toe with women. Being a female MC doesn't actually really define me for real because... What's the difference? You know, if you rap, you rap. And if you have bars, you have bars. And that's all that it boils down to, you know? Um, But I would really like to see more, you know, female MC voices being lifted up. And I think that we're on our way. Like, I think think that it's happening. Um, I can't say as much for the radio. I haven't listened to the radio in a long time. I stopped listening to it a minute ago because I just... Right. Couldn't anymore. Like I was just over it. Whoever feels some way about that, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but um, I think we're on our way. I think you know, there's more of a light being shed on female artists, female rappers in particular. And I hope that that trend just keeps up. And I hope that there is, you know, a space for all of us, not just for the ones that you hear in the club, but the one that you can listen to when you're riding in your car, the one you can listen to when you're painting, the one you want to listen to when you burn a sage. Like, there's, there's space for all of us, and we all need to get some light shown on us, bro. Sure, sure. So we talked about the current uh, climate that we're in. 
What are your thoughts on police brutality? What are your thoughts on the whole Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, the world is upside down. We're seeing a lot of a lot of good is coming out of it, but we're also still turning on social media. We're still turning on the news, and it's like this person is, you know, mm-hmm. they fame committed suicide, and it's the truth. You see other uh, non-aggressive, unarmed black men being either brutalized and beaten, or still chokehold or gunned down. What are your thoughts on everything that's happening now from a social and political standpoint? Um, everything that's happening right now is a lot. And I think that the changes that are being made are, you know, it's been a long time coming. Like, people in this country don't not know what the problems are. They just haven't been ready to do something about it but you know the more pressure you put the more they're going to have no choice and that's kind of you know i think that really just sums up how i feel about all of it like i as a black woman as a person of color like it breaks my heart to see people dying on screen you know um, or the effects that that has on our community as well, because watching that isn't healthy for you either. Watching that perpetuates, you know, fear, perpetuates anger and hatred and all these other things. Like it makes you angry and it makes you hurt on the inside, even if you don't know those people. So the psychological effects that that's having on us as a community is scary. And my main message right now is I want people to make sure that they're taking care of themselves while they're fighting this fight, because both are important, taking care of yourself and taking care of your people. Um, You know, I kind of like, it's like being in in a bad relationship, black people in a bad relationship with America, right? It's like America's the abusive boyfriend, you know? Now, all of a sudden, we want to wild out and we're, you know, angry and we're doing all these things. And you're like, oh, oh, wait, okay, we'll take these statues down and we'll take these paintings down and we'll paint Black Lives Matter on top of everything. What are you going to fix? What are you going to do? Because those are very nice optics. That's nice. I like to see Black Lives Matter painted leading up to the White House. Fantastic. But what about the policies? What about your police force? Are you going to demilitarize them? What about the funding for our education system? Like, what are you actually going to do? Because right now, you're just trying to keep me. You're not trying to take care of me. You see what I'm saying? Like, end of time. And y'all know what to do. And you know why you're wrong. And you know what you need to fix. So now is the time to do it and not just wrap it up in a pretty bow and act like everything's okay. Cause it's not. You have some we have some real fundamental problems. Right. Systemic problems in this country in anywhere that you look. And it's time for the powers that be to start to make real change. And it's time for the people to start putting pressure on the powers that be and also becoming the powers that be to make these changes. Become the lawmakers, become the judges, become the lawyers, become the police force, run it, you know? Um, You don't like the system, become it, change it. Or at least change it, do what you can, you know? Um, But yeah, I I think it's, it's about time. Right. Right. I might start doing something, you know, so hopefully I, I see the momentum is going to keep going and I hope that it does. So it's unfortunate that we see poverty being damaged. But one business owner said if $40,000 of damage is going to bring about change and stop another killing, then it's worth it. And I feel that same way, too. I, yeah. I don't want anyone's hard work to go up into flames. But what about? Human life. Yeah. Are we putting 
profit and, 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 and brick and mortars over our lives. And I, I was so happy he said that because I, I agree 110%. Uh, number two, this narrative about good cops, I'm, I'm taking a very hard stance on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't ever want to hear someone tell me about good cops ever again. There was a, a cop that just came out. Her name is, uh, is it Karen? Carol. Carol Horn. And she's a uh, black female cop who got suspended and who got fired and then got reinstated and got put through the winner and had all kinds of things happen to her simply because she was stopping a fellow cop from from putting a, a, a suspect in a chokehold. Okay. Too many times I am seeing cops standing by idle and not saying anything. What I would like to hear in this video that people keep capturing is, hey, he's had enough. Hey, stop. Can't you see what you're doing? Um, okay, enough is enough. Let me get off of him. Get off of her. And until I start hearing that, I'm still, until people like Carol Horn, who steps up to the plate and says, I, I try to prevent this officer from doing something bad, and she yeah. hero, until that comes into play, this whole thing about all cops, there are good cops, I'm taking a very hard stance on that. Mm-hmm. I think that narrative is just getting in the way of real progress. No one wants to be generalized. I get it. But if you're in the police force for 20 years, you can't tell, as a black person especially, you cannot tell me you haven't heard your fellow officers talk about black people in a negative light. You can't tell me that you haven't heard the N-word uh, several times on, a, on, on the police force in 20 years. You can't tell me that there were opportunities where you had to, you, you could have stepped in and stopped your fellow officers and you didn't. If that's the case, then you're not good. And if you don't quit your job at that point in time, I don't really care what you have to say about anything. Uh-huh. This, this misguided allegiance to jobs. That Carol, Carol Horn said, I had a hard time feeding my five kids when I stopped that cop from choking them. Uh, they put me through hell. They took away my pension. But there is a man walking around still breathing because of it. That's important. That's important. Yeah. If, if I could walk with my, for my job and save a life, I know. That's not job, human life. That's not that difficult of a decision for me. And I know, I know, no one likes to be on the opposite end of the cafeteria eating by themselves. No one wants to find a rat in their locker. I, I, I get it. But in this day and age, I'm saying, fuck all that. Mm-hmm. We, we, we can't afford to be lax and allow people to get away with bad behavior. And yeah. if you stand by idle, I am sorry to whoever I offend. You are complicit. That's just the way it is. Anybody who's with me and I commit a crime and you don't stop me, guess what? You're complicit. Yeah. So, yeah. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's really time that everybody not only begin to take responsibility for themselves and their actions and their educations, but take responsibility for the person next to you too. Because put that in the perspective of doctors, right? If you have one doctor who you know is doing malpractice and doing malpractice intentionally and you're not saying anything, you know that it's happening. Would that be respectable? Would that be okay? You know? Um, no. No. That's the reality of it. Like, we're not, we're talking people's lives here. We're talking people's right to live. And if you're supposed to be upholding the rights of the people in this nation, then that means of all people, all people should have the right to live. All people should have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness not just people who look like you. And it's time that folks start to, like you just said, you know, if you see something being done wrong or there is something questionable, you should be able to come forward about it and there should be no repercussions for you, not on that level. Right. You know? um, I think that 
you know, it, it's it's strange to me because police will speak out on the no snitching policy in the streets, but they have a no snitching policy amongst themselves. You want the people to be able to help you figure out a murder or figure out this or figure out that. And it frustrates you when you can't. We want to be able to know who is policing us and that they're doing the right things and not, you know, this horrible person behind closed doors or a person that just make that doesn't make the right choices or isn't in the right frame of mind. And my other thought is, listen, I got to go through four years of school to teach your kids. You should have to go through more than six months of training to police mine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why don't you have a criminal justice degree before you become a cop? Why don't you have to take psychology before you become a cop? And now don't get me wrong. I don't know what the whole process is to become a cop, but I know that it's a six month training, if I'm not mistaken. Like there needs to be more education and there needs to be more vetting and it needs to be taken way more seriously than it is. Because as of right now, it's unacceptable on the highest level. It's nowhere as extensive and intense as it should be, given what they tell me the job entails. If it's that dangerous, then why aren't you having a psychological test more often? Why aren't you being, like you said, vetted more extensively? If that's the case, and and, and because it's not the case, I feel like there is a thread of sociopathic tendencies when I look at George Floyd and I see the cop kneeling on his neck with his hands in his pocket, I don't see compassion. I don't see care. I don't see concern. I don't see love. I don't see warmth. I see someone who, to me, is just another, this is just another day and it's part of the job. And I don't think you can train that. I don't think there's any amount of sensitivity training that's going to give that cop a heart or compassion. How do we get that back into people who are here to serve and protect us? How do we get that back into people? Because filming that happening, that's not it either. Right. Right. You know, for anybody, I don't even mean when it's just police doing it. I mean, in general, I saw a video of myself today, actually, that you know how you get like Facebook memories? video popped up that when, and it was about um, when that rapper um, Triple X Tentacion passed mm-hmm. away and passed away in the car right. and nobody was helping him and he was just dying yeah. in the car and they were taking the video of him like where have we gotten to as a society that we would rather videotape a person in their last breaths to post it or send it or do whatever with it, then intervene, then do something, then help. I witnessed it with my own eyes once. I witnessed a car accident and everybody around whipped out their camera phones while I was on the phone calling 911 screaming trying to help this person who got hit by a car. Why is there only one of me and 15 of you? Like that is we we need to get back to a place of humanity and humanity and common human decency to each other across all lines. You I, know, I agree. Now, so we have the we have the racial tension, and we have also tension between, I guess, the the upper class, the lower class, the one percent, ninety nine percent. We have. Of course, the, the LGBT is still fighting. There was another fight, um, sexism. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the whole Me Too, Time's Up movement? And um, I'm with it all. <laughs> you know? I'm with all of it. Like I'm with every every movement that is people demanding common human decency, right, and respect, and to be able to walk this earth unharmed and unhurt and unviolated and you know not damaged right. I'm for it so, so you you're know. an artist and an activist Absolutely. is that safe to say? yes okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel the same way you yeah. know 
um, a lot of people want to just focus on this issue. And for me, if it's a black issue, then it can come first, but that's not the only issue. I can still have compassion for one that help um, dogs who are being uh, mistreated and brutalized. I can still join the fight with women. My mom, obviously, was a woman, so I have some fight there. She was also from St. Lucia. My dad is from Trinidad. So if there's a fight with immigrants, then I have to, I have to jump in that fight. If you think immigrants don't deserve a chance to be in America and make something, uh, and the list goes on and on. So I can walk and chew gum at the same time. There are so many issues that I feel are pertinent to me that I can do, I can, I can jump in it all. A lot of people feel like, well, they're not helping us. They're LGBT, they don't help us. Or, well, they're wrong. Uh-huh. That's number one. If they and that's another generalization. That, 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 that's right. I know plenty of LGBTQ people who have been right with it at the protests that I've been at. I've that's seen plenty of white people. I've seen plenty of Asians. I've seen plenty of Hispanics at Black Lives Matter protests, you know, Absolutely. and vice versa. That's right. Absolutely. So it's time. We all got to care about each other, yo. Like we really do. We all really need to start caring about each other and loving each other and showing each other compassion and realizing that like, like you said, you know, like oppressed groups are oppressed groups, no matter which way, you know, you're being oppressed, whether you're a woman, whether you're be from the whether you be from the LGBTQ community, whether you're a black man, whether you're a black woman, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're an immigrant, whether you're, you know, Arab, like hate is hate. And if I know how it feels to, to receive hate for being black in a white space, I can imagine what it feels like to receive hate in a different space because of a different difference. You know what I'm saying? So I have some level of, um, empathy towards that so your fight is my fight and my fight is her fight and her fight is his fight and it has to be like that right you know? we where we compartmentalize each other too much well like well i'm doing this and i'm part of this group so i can't do work people do work for your people do work for your own you know i always do work when it comes to black lives and black lives matter but that doesn't mean that if the opportunity arises that i won't do work for immigrants too because my family i come from immigrants absolutely um, that doesn't mean that if I don't, you know, if I'm doing work for Black Lives and Black Lives Matter, that I'm not going to do work for the LGBTQ community because I got plenty of people in that community that I love and care for and want to see win, you know, um, and take care of everything else that you can is kind of how I've gone about it anyway. <laughs> Agreed. Now, where do you see yourself, Jasmine, in five years? both from a professional and personal standpoint? Huh. That is a good question. Um, I definitely see myself still being involved with nonprofits and still being involved with young people. I also see myself doing music, um, for sure. I One of my main goals musically is to travel the world doing music so i'm pursuing that currently right now um an elevated place from where i am at this moment you know i i worked really hard to get where i am right now so now is the time where i start to think about okay what are my next five years gonna look like i think there's buying a house somewhere in there i'm trying to you know own some property um so yeah probably still, you know, in the nonprofit sector, um, doing my activism, working for the rights of all people and the right to life of all people and making music to fuel that movement. Mm-hmm. Now, I was in a rap group back in back in the day, and um, it's been a while since I picked up the mic, but if, if someone, you know, needs a guest verse, someone to <laughs> Step in and, and, and give a quick hot 16. Okay. Um, you know, if you're looking for some fire, if you're looking for some political and conscious, you know, just bars, uh-huh. I'm just saying. Okay. Where to find me. I, I know where to find you now. <laughs> now, Jasmine, if someone 
extremely close to you can use one adjective to describe you, what do you think it would be? Someone close to me could use one adjective to describe me. I would say fierce. Is that too far to My word. Yeah. <laughs> now, what, would you, what do you think? I want to know yours too. Somebody close to you could use one word to describe you. Now I'm asking questions. I think it would be sincere. Sincere? Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 yeah, yeah. And, and someone told me that and uh, a long time ago, close friend of mine, and I, I just never forgot it. And people seem to allude to that as well. They might not have said the word, but I hear it. I hear that, that kind of indirect adjective. Yes. Yeah. That's where I pulled mine out from too. <laughs> I was like, oh, what word do you use to describe how people be describing me in real life? No, but I think people need more fierce, sincere, genuine, um, not afraid to speak up and tell the truth. Now is the time. Yeah. We, we, we can't afford to keep our mouths shut. We can't afford to tippy-toe around subjects. And, 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 and no, no, no. Voices need to be heard. People need to, be, need to stand up. I am so sick of... What we've been dealing with in this country for this long, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It, it, it tells me that we're not as great as we think we are. It tells me that we're not as compassionate. You might have great moments, but you can't tell me there was a time where we were compassionate to all. Yeah. We have a problem with anything that's different, whether that's color, gender, citizenship, sexual orientation, you name it. We do not like Anything that is different. That is a big, big problem. We have to get over it. And everybody here is different. <laughs> Every single person. Like, <laughs> like, we're called the melting pot. <laughs> you would think that by now, folks learn how to coexist. Like, it's time. It's, you're right. It's time. It's, it's time. So, before we go, Jasmine, is there anything that you want to say in terms of maybe Big Brother, Big Sister, or your um, give where your music is available, or just a, uh, a bit of advice to people who are going to be listening? Um, as far as Big Brothers, Big Sisters, I promise you, if you volunteer to be a mentor, if you come to be an intern, if you come to work for Big Brothers, Big Sisters, you are going to be part of something big, no pun intended, but Seriously, um, if what's you're the, in a... What's the website? Uh, for Boston, it's BBBSMB. Okay. Uh, uh, Base is the organization. Um, definitely, if you're in a position and you want to give back and you're not sure how to do it, but you want to in- influence a life, reach out to the Big Brothers, Big Sisters in your area and become a big and mentor uh, somebody like my friend Remington here. Um, and as far as, you know, music, I can be found anywhere under Jasmine Red. And my best advice is whoever you come across, make sure you leave people better than the way you found them. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Jazz. Thank you. Do people call you Jazz? Is there a nickname? Yeah, people call me Jazz. (laughs) I get all types of Jazz, Jazzy, Red. Jay, just whatever comes out their mouth. It's cool. <laughs> and, you, and you said you have a new album dropping, correct? I do. I do. I have a new album coming out um, titled Revolution. Um, and actually, one of the songs off of it is um, called Be Gonna Make It. And it is part of a national campaign uh, called BlackBallotPower.com, which is all uh, an online resource of different ways for any person wants to start, you know, getting people motivated and organized to go and vote. It's an online resource where you can find different ways um, that you can contribute to getting people out to go and register to vote, to get them to vote in the election in November. Um, That's blackballotpower.org. We have, you know, Ayanna 
Presley, Harry Belafonte, Keith McKean Peel, Danny Glover, Joe Kennedy, all these folks are backing this initiative. Um, so if anybody is interested in getting some work done in your community and getting the people in your community organized, you want to go to blackballotpower.com. And one more thing, thank you. One more thing. When it comes to Boston, I know Rex, I know RSO Almighty, I know Ed OG. Those are yeah. like old school. I I'm gonna say it right here, right now. Jasmine Red is gonna be the next big office to come out of the Massachusetts area. Thank you. Oh, I hope so. We're gonna see. I'm working on it. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you. Uh, you're welcome, and, and, and thank you, and it was a great, I had a great time uh, talking to you today, and hopefully it won't be the last. Hopefully not. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. No doubt. She's a force to be reckoned, soft skin, but she's tougher than most men. Ambitious, headstrong, and relentless. Lioness on the hunt. Her determination, vicious. She is so focused, strong will.